Hello and welcome to the LIP podcast, the Leadership in Insurance podcast. Today we are joined by Nabi Mariam, who is the founder and CEO of InsureTech Cover Hero. Um, Cover Hero have had a really interesting journey and this was a great conversation. Um, we talked about all the challenges of being an entrepreneur in the insurance market, joining the insurance market from a sort of non-traditional route. Um, she was incredibly honest um, and we got some great feedback and, and, and sort of true stories that don't focus on all the positives. Um, some really tough moments like nearly losing her home um, to make it successful. So if you want to know what it takes to be successful in a, the modern insurance marketplace, if you want to know what it takes to start your own insure tech and get that off the ground, then this is absolutely the podcast for you. Good morning and welcome to the LIP, the Leadership in Insurance podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by Nebi Mariam, who is the CEO and founder of Cover Hero. Um, it's an insure tech that I've watched for quite some time. Um, she's very prominent on, um, on the so social media and has been really sort of on some good panels and had some interesting things to say. So I'm really um, pleased that to welcome her as the first guest to the LIP. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me as the first first uh, first guest. I don't have to um, mesh with the people before me, so I'm quite happy <laughs> with that. That's a very positive way of looking at it. The other way is to say you're the guinea pig, so um, thank you for doing it. <laughs> happy to um, be guinea pig as well. <laughs> so I wanted to sort of, you know, obviously I've followed your journey, but not everyone out there is necessarily going to. So it'd be really good to hear a little bit from you um, about your kind of journey into sort of cover hero because you you don't come from a what we terms of maybe a traditional insurance background is, is that right yeah i come from academia uh i started uh in academia when i was 18 i was a university lecturer from a very very young age wow. so i spent about good 15 years in academia across the board uh, was at very senior level position here in Sydney and uh, kind of had an existential crisis. Then I left academia and went into entrepreneurship. So I ventured out to build, not build, um, create a documentary series about the Maldives uh, to bring attention to climate change and the impact of climate change mm -hmm. on island nations. And that was my first entrepreneurial project. And with no background in doc documentary production, I uh, convinced a very prominent producer here in Australia to, to produce the, the show with me. So I went, got on a plane, took my son, put everything on a credit card, hired a camera crew and filmed a sizzle reel and came back and edited and uh, wrote a book and did a whole photo shoot of the book as well. And we tried to sell it to one of the networks here and they said no. They were like, you don't have a commercial face and a profile. I'm like, have you seen this face? Like, seriously? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, this is, this, there's a lot of barriers to entry here. So I kind of parked that and then went into tech after um, having no technology background. This was about nine years ago now. Mm -hmm. And I started building an accommodation booking platform for the Maldives. And that kind of didn't work out. Then in 2015, I launched Australia's first rideshare platform for kids called Ride Hero uh, because I have a son who plays 
football or they say soccer here in Australia um, and, and a huge fan of Messi. So I had to always take him to football practices and I was like, can't do this, can't work full time and take him to, you know, five, 10 practices a week. So I, I started a platform to solve that problem, mm-hmm. um, which, which was kind of organically grew and I bootstrapped the company and kind of uh, had a bit of a burnout as a lot of founders do when they put all in and work 90 odd hours a week, which is not very sustainable. So then I moved to London for a little bit. Um, so I was in London and I was speaking to a lot of fintechs at Google campus and really love London. Uh, and then came back and I was working in management consulting for a little bit because I needed to recover from losing losing so much money that I poured into my my previous startup. And while I was working in that role, um, I had a very traumatic life experience. A very close person to me got cancer and, and that led me to lodge a whole bunch of insurance claims that got rejected. And the whole process was quite traumatic combined with my personal life experience. So that kind of uh, motivated me to look into the insurance, say, how, how can things be like this in this day and age? Um, so it came from a place of a personal kind of angst around how challenging it was. And if I was the one that went through it, I'm pretty sure there are thousands, if not millions of people that will have to deal with it. So we applied for an accelerator program here in 2017, which was Qantas Avro Accelerator. So we got into the program and that's kind of how it started. And uh, we finished the program and I then bootstrapped the company in 2018, traveled pretty much all around the world, uh, spent a lot of time in Germany and New York speaking to other insurtech startups and VCs and I wanted to ask you about accelerator programs because um, outside looking in, they look slightly terrifying. Um, and I've got, I, I speak to lots of um, senior insurance professionals that are fascinated by the insure tech industry. I think most people, you know, like, like everyone's got a good one good booking them or one film they can write. Um, I think everyone in insurance now seems to think they've got one good insure tech in them. Um, what was that experience like? Would you recommend it? Um, because they look, they look like sort of a bit of a sort of quite an aggressive running of the gauntlet. Um, so yeah, what, what's your experience with kind of the accelerator pitching program? Uh, every accelerator is different. So I have been through three accelerator programs mm-hmm. um, of various different types. In fact, I worked for United, United Nations Development Project um, in designing accelerator programs to drive innovation in um, in developing countries. So being on both sides of being a participant and also designing and running accelerator programs as well. I think it is very good for new founders that have not built a startup before. It gives you a structure. It gives you the right kind of mindset and you learn a lot about um, moving quickly and testing and validating your ideas and, and getting traction, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then there are more scale-up programs, which are very good for startups that already have a product, got a little bit of traction, is looking to commercialize, um, especially in the enterprise space. So in 2019, we were in plug and play in tech accelerator program in Silicon Valley that was really intense. I spent about seven, seven months uh, just traveling between Sydney and San Francisco, 
uh, I spent one week there and three weeks back in Sydney. So that was that was really intense, build network and, and commercialization. And then this year we were in the Singapore FinSureTech program with plug and play as well. So accelerators are great if you have the energy to move forward and, and really absorb it. Um, startups that work really hard and hustle really hard will get a lot of benefit from the accelerators. Uh, but if you don't do the work, it's just, you know, it's a waste of time. So yeah. it's up to the teams to make the best out of it. Yeah. Yeah. How did you balance that with family life? Cause you, you know, you said you've got a relatively young son. Was, was that, that must've been quite challenging. It was very challenging. So I have a very, um, interesting story, but something that I very openly speak about, uh, which is also the philosophy of Cover Hero is to enable future generations and our generations to live a balanced life, um, have financial well-being, physical well-being and mental well-being. And that's because in 2018, when I was bootstrapping my company, uh, I went through this really challenging period, we ran out of money in the company and um it got to a point where i couldn't even pay my own bills and and my son and i would sit and count to buy bread count wow. coins to buy bread so it was it was extremely challenging and that took me down the path of anxiety and and massive depression and um and i had to change something about my life to get out of that and i um so i lost my apartment i moved in with my best friend and my son uh went back to his dad because uh, I had to move really far away from his school. Mm -hmm. um, and then for 18 months, I was, you know, rebuilding my company, rebuilding myself. And, and about a month and a half ago, um, I got my own place and um, managed to have my child back again with me. Um, so that was really amazing. So that was huge amazing. sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that's, that's, that's like, that's the level of commitment um, that we don't hear about very often. I, th I think people like to talk about techs, particularly tech startups, but I think startup like community in general, when we're following this kind of, I don't know, like entrepreneurial porn is what I want to say, you know, the Gary Vaynerchuk's of this world. And, and I think people like Gary Vaynerchuk, he, he's, he, he talks about a lot of the practicalities of it. Um, but I think people very quick to kind of ignore those bits and focus on, the money and the ego of owning your own company. Um, but, you know, I had a similar story. I, I, I've worked for myself, have done for a long time. But when I first started, I remember I got down to the point where if I didn't make money that month, I couldn't pay my rent. And, and it was like, okay. Um, and I, fortunately, I was a bit luckier and that I literally signed on the dotted line for something that paid my rent that month. But, um, uh, my client couldn't understand why I wanted to pay, pay so quickly, but I was like, I really don't want to lose my flat. Um, but it's, it, nobody talks about that. People like talking about the sort of exciting bit. So, you know, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Cause I think that's, that's as important as anything else, particularly when talking about startups. Um, you touched on something as well. You were talking about bootstrapping. Um, I've got quite strong views on this, but I wanted to hear your view on kind of investment um, and, and attracting investment and, can it be a bit of a, do you think it can be a bit of a poison chalice at times? Because that's certainly a bit of my view. It depends on the startup and it depends on how much you want to invest into the startup. Uh, one thing I can say, capital raising is a very time consuming endeavor. 
Um, if I could, I would not raise capital, but the capital is required to grow and scale the business. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the money that comes from investments. It is the opportunity to scale and being plugged in to the networks that can open doors and accelerate the growth of the company. Mm -hmm. That is the value that I see in, in raising money from VCs is the wealth of knowledge and expertise that they can bring to the table mm -hmm. and the, the doors that you can, um, that can be open for the business because it'll take a long time. As you know, networks are very powerful and networks are very clicky as well. So to get into a network is really hard. And I look at, it is an investment from a sales perspective. And that is the framing that I have is, is by raising money from strategic investors, it would help the company grow a lot faster and having the capital to be able to execute. But you have to balance um, the time that is spent on, on raising and, and not doing half-assed capital raise, right? Like if you want to do a capital raise, be fully committed, prepare the documentation, understand what's required and go all in and go hard and to find out whether you can raise money or you will get some really good critical feedback. Because mm -hmm. one thing that I've seen is that I compared it to um, going public. As soon as you, as soon as you, you know, float a company, you are beholden to shareholders, which are external to the management of a company. A shareholder wants to return, a management might, might want to grow in certain ways. Um, and it's a bit like, I, I feel if you t attract too much investment or the wrong investment and the wrong investors, they're pushing for that return, that massive multiple. And let's say you've got a specific niche within the insurance market. Your USP is that niche. But to provide the return required, you may have to kind of dilute that niche and go into other areas. And then you kind of lose your USP um, as a proposition. Um, so it definitely seems to be a kind of real tight way between getting the right investment, the right level, um, but certainly the right investors. Um, because that goes to kind of team as well. So um, you got horribly cut off when we were talking about Cover Hero. So I want to ask you obviously specifically about that. So am I right in thinking so Cover Hero is set up more as, as, as a platform and Hustle Cover is the product that you're currently offering? Um, so it'd be good to hear about kind of uh, Cover Hero as it is now, obviously the product you've got and then obviously where you sort of see that expanding as we go forward. Yeah, so we designed the, the technology and our platforms called Cloud Cover that, that powers our product hustle, um, which is targeted at the contingent workforce, which is expected to be about, I think, $4 billion in 2025, which is growing rapidly. Wow. So it is a segment that requires various different financial services to cater to the specific needs of, of the segment. So the, the technology powers the product, but we also partner um, with Agile Underwriting here in Sydney, who's, uh, who's our capacity provider, which is also Lloyd's cover holder. So it's a very collaborative, collaborative relationship that we have in designing the product and working together mm -hmm. uh, to, to bring the product to the end user. So how have you found that um, interacting with, you know, the traditional insurance market? Because um, um, certainly something that I have to push back on when people are trying to get into insure techs is that I have to say, you've got to understand that insure techs are tech businesses. 
that happen to be in the insurance space. They're not necessarily insurance businesses. Um, so the skill sets are kind of not the same. So what's been your experience of that kind of traditional insurance market? Consistently, uh, the traditional insurers are very risk averse. Mm -hmm. So that's the number one thing. Um, secondly, their core business is in technology, their core business is insurance, and therefore uh, the understanding or the creativity across the business units are different. And then thirdly, because the businesses are so big and there is so much internal fragmentation, uh, the incumbents or the decision makers will don't have the full control across the value chain within the organization. For example, the underwriting teams or the compliance or the marketing, they're all very, very separate from each other. Mm -hmm. So the amount of people that is required to, to sign off on, a, on a, a, a venture or an avenue takes a very, very long time and they don't move at the same speed as startups don't have the same level of urgency. They still have to continue to grow their existing portfolio. So spending time into building a new segment for, for the incumbents and working together with startups uh, is generally around how many zeros are you going to bring in? So yeah. it's very revenue driven. So the nature of innovation is it's a long-term play. Mm -hmm. um, the early days, <clears throat> for example, trying to find capacity providers, the first question that they would ask is how much gross written premium are you going to bring in? And if it is under five mil or 10 mil, which a company that is starting would not be able to do, um, then the sign off doesn't come through. Mm -hmm. And finding the right partners is like finding a needle in a haystack. Yeah. But they're out there. They're yeah. definitely out there. It's challenging to find. You have to have a lot of phone calls and conversations to find the right fit that understands. And, and the key stakeholders within the organizations have to champion that. Mm -hmm. And when you meet those companies and those people, then magic happens. Otherwise, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and have you found that with Agile? Because I, 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 I don't know Agile that well, but obviously look, look them up on the, on the process and, and they seem to kind of promote a lot of like, technology themselves, you know. Oh, they're, they're amazing. I mean, founder of Agile, Ben Webster, is also one of the founders of InsureTech Australia and his, his team uh, are doing a lot in, in driving and building the ecosystem here. So work very closely with the with the team at Agile and Adam from Agile, big shout out to Adam for all of the support and working together. And, and we have a you know long way to go as well and massive learning curve and the guidance and support and, and continued um, outlook on understanding that it is a learning process and, and it's a testing and learning and iterating process and continuously improving. Um, so it's been really, really great. And we're very grateful that we found a really great partner to work with um, because we had, a, had an experience where uh, we were working with one of the partners and it wasn't a great fit. So they sent us back six months and then we had to start again. So very grateful for the work that Agile does in the ecosystem, empowering InsureTechs. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I, I wanted to pick up on something you said about innovation, because something that we've seen during the pandemic um, has been a sort of instant like retraction on the kind of innovation teams within like some of the big insurers. Um, if we look at things that have happened, like, you know, Lumen Labs has shut down for MetLife, um, or is at least winding up. And then we've had Blackboard with AIG, they've, they've shut down and they've just retracted into their core. Um, so like culturally, it seems that the big insurers still kind of struggle um, with the kind of concept of innovation on any sort of long term plan. Um, and I don't know if you've observed that, but certainly, you know, I suppose it always goes back to the same thing. These successful big insurance businesses are so large that, you know, it's the equivalent of trying to turn an oil tanker. Um, and I'm not sure how committed some of them are long term to the concept of innovation. So do you see like InsureTech in some degree as like a external third party innovation pool or ecosystem that the insurance market can invest in but doesn't have to kind of bring on board and on site itself? I think it's a combination of all of those things and one of the key cultural fundamental differences about the insurance industry is it's not an industry that has a culture of innovation and it is just starting. So it was very much doing the same thing for a very, very long time and for good reason because the numbers were looking good and, and the businesses are profitable. So why change if it's not broken, right? Yeah. So yeah. innovation seems to be a cost to the business rather than an investment mm -hmm. because the short-term returns aren't coming through early on. And that long-term commitment to building something internally and and then the commitment or the champions within the business might change and the directive might come from the top the board may decide a different strategy and if it's a listed company there's there's all of these internal challenges that big companies have that we don't have uh we like jet skis we can we can change the course very very quickly on an hourly basis sometimes but they don't have those things. So even if they're great champions within, within the business units, if there's a directive from the top to change the course, then, then that happens. And I, I hope that the industry has a cultural shift within the organizations, that there are bold leaders inside the organizations that would fight for innovation um, and, and justify that as a long-term investment and not cut down the investments into innovation and drive it. And this is the time to innovate because what COVID and this pandemic has shown us is, is the value of being prepared for, for something like this, um, going fully remote and being digital. For startups, that's easy because it's just business as usual for us. Uh, nothing really changed. Um, but for a large organization with thousands of employees that weren't set up to go remote, uh, the cybersecurity threats or the workplace well-being or having that culture, I would hate to be CEO of a large organization um, in this current time. So kudos to uh, doing what, the, what they can. Um, and I think it is not the time to point fingers, but also recognize that 
they need to do something differently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's been really interesting. I mean, obviously, my, my role is every day talking to different businesses and and some have responded really positively. They were they were set up. They had a sort of crisis plan and it just kicked into action. And, and we can see that by their activity. They just continued to hire. They onboarded remotely. They just sent out laptops and technology to people and said, you know, welcome. Um, some had to kind of make that happen and then they couldn't get their hand on technology or laptops for example and they couldn't get it going but then the other thing is that happened was it was more cultural some people would not hire someone that they couldn't meet face to face and yeah. you know we had you had to have these awkward conversations going we don't know when we're gonna going to be able to meet face to face so you either kind of continue doing business and growing or you just you say we'll wait until this unknown date and, um, and, and then it becomes out of your control. So I think the cultural things, you know, is incredibly, um, it's been highlighted, in, you know, in, in this instant and, and different companies are, are reacting very different, even if they're of the same size. So yeah, it's definitely been very challenging. Um, and on culture, I wanted to talk to you because you've been involved in several startups, um, you know, how do you build a, a team in a startup? Because you're, you're selling a vision, right? You're selling an idea because it's not necessarily the money, the glamour or the sort of nine to five lifestyle. <laughs> so yeah. how do you go about doing that? And, you know, how have you gone about building your team today? So for me, it's, it's about the key values of, uh, of the company and creating a, a culture that I want to spend a lot of time being part of mm -hmm. um, and walking the talk. And it's not just a brand building activity. So one of the key things is, you know, strive for excellence, but not perfection. Yeah. Um, within the team environment and give a hundred percent. If you can't give a hundred percent, take a break, mm -hmm. uh, look after your own well-being. because if you don't have a good handle on yourself and your life, uh, cause the lines of work and life are so blurred now, um, having a culture where all of those things are checked and very integrated is really integral to building a team and, and, and the other thing um, in team dynamics, something that we do is, is the element of creativity and what drives creativity. Creativity would not happen under pressure. Mm -hmm. As my son would say, mom, amygdala hijack. That's, that's what he says when he is uh, stressed out. So technically your brain is hijacked when you're under extreme stress, you have you know, massive adrenaline and cortisol in your, in your body. And therefore, you're not going to be able to come up with new ideas. Mm -hmm. So balancing the levels of stress and understanding the levels of stress and creating free flow of ideas, and that comes with fun. Yeah. Um, we have never come up with an idea by sitting inside a boardroom. And the ideas come in the most awkward places at the most random times, just out of the blue. And, and that is the flow. And keeping that flow is really critical uh, to constantly innovate and it's not going into let's sit down and brainstorm uh new ideas that it has never happened like that yeah. and it's always bouncing ideas of um especially with my uh cto who's praveen um we used to before lockdown we used to have lunch every week on a friday and we will go to a one of our favorite places and we sit down 
and and looking at the sunset in Sydney, which is really magical. And we would just chat, chat and float ideas and bounce ideas. And off the back of it, Hustle was born. And then some of the other products that we're working on, strategy and some campaigns and all of these things just organically happen. Um, and I want to cultivate that culture that as we grow and as we scale to have that culture of creativity. And the way to do that is to create a psychological safety within a team environment where you use a scientific and a very diagnostic approach to identify problems and solve problems. So having a no shame, no blame and a no fear culture that allows people to make mistakes, but have an intolerance to not know why the mistake happened. So very objectively looking at processes and understanding those processes and, and improving them because it's, it's okay to make mistakes and through mistakes we learn a lot. But repeating the same mistakes over and over again is very costly yeah. uh, for the team and, and for everybody that's involved. So it's just those, those balancing acts. Um, and the bigger the team gets, the harder it is. So instilling those cultural values and reiterating the, the culture and constantly living that is, is a critical part of that team dynamics. Because mm. I, do you think we over, um, overcomplicate communication within businesses? Um, because what you've just said there is, is like, it's such a human thing. You said, we talk, uh, we you know, we challenge each other. You know, you and your CTO go and have a lunch. You know, obviously not now, but but you have lunch together, um, and that's such a human, obvious, like you know, simple solution to kind of some of these challenges. Um, uh, you know, and I know you've you've done some stuff on you know before before uh, this part of your career. You you worked as a management consultant, looking at kind of communication within teams and and building successful teams. So, do, do we overcomplicate um, communication in business, do you think? I think we need to become more human and look at what, what do you want for yourself and how do you unlock your own creativity? And if we can empower every individual to get themselves out of the way, um, driven and then follow a vision and very strategic approach and allow people to work the way they want to work, but have clear objectives and goals. And, and rather than going from this like nine to five show up uh, kind of thinking to we are solving problem X and we want to solve it in Y time period. Yeah. Um, and let's all get together and work together to, to do that. So we work in sprints. So there are four sprints in a year. Mm -hmm. In every sprint, there is a goal. There's one big goal and then breaking it down. Okay, what and working backwards, what do we need to do in order to achieve that goal? And sometimes it changes, but there is like uh, every sprint will have a core functionality, whether it's a tech that we're going to do or whether it's around marketing um, because we can't do everything all at once. There are lots of trade-offs that we have to make. Yeah. And I like to think that um having accountability is is very important otherwise you're not going to be able to measure and if you can't measure something you can't optimize it mm -hmm. so having that very scientific approach to being able to measure um is really important and having fun is really critical 
allowing people to have fun without being scared and being able to speak up directly. I'm very, very direct. And sometimes to my detriment as well. Um, I'm very direct with my communication and, and say what's on my mind. And, and I think that's really important to have direct conversations. Mm. I think direct's got a really sort of neg- has like quite negative connotations and, and um, it's quite funny as soon as you said direct I, I instantly got slightly terrified of it all um, but um, I, I think you're right because I, I'm, I am actually direct and I think when I'm when I'm not communicating well is when I'm not being direct or or I'm not being myself you know um, I, I spent a long time and I think certainly within business there's you can fall into a culture of appearing how people want you to appear you know even down to how people dress you know and I, I know business dresses change for example I nearly turned up with my FinPro I've got a hoodie because I had to go work on site our software company once and I realized as soon as I wore my suit I was like oh no I can't wear this um, yeah. but it was quite funny because they were going oh well you can't wear that but I thought yeah but now I feel like I need to come in your uniform and your uniform is everyone was sitting with a black hoodie like hacker hoodie and you know so I said it wasn't I was swapping one uniform for another but when people are themselves and when people are direct nothing gets lost in communication um of course as you alluded to there is a balance sometimes sometimes people need you to be a bit sort of sensitive to how direct you can be but I think even then you've got you've got a point to work from can't you because everyone knows where they stand um how do you think you're going to carry that culture forward when you grow the business and there's more people? Um, uh, have you thought about ways to kind of continue that culture of kind of clarity and communication? I think, you know, the first 15 people are absolutely critical for the, for the business and, and living and breathing the culture because they would go out and build the teams. Yeah. Um, and having team rituals are very important as the company grows. Like if we look at families, right? Rituals are really powerful. If you have a morning ritual, afternoon, evening, holiday rituals, that kind of grounds us and, and brings people together, um, working towards a certain goal and having those rituals, whether it's a little ritual or something big, um, that you do brings people, um, it's kind of like being on a ship and you have you're at the at the what is the equivalent of a steering wheel on a ship uh, what is <laughs> i can't it? remember the word but you know what i'm saying <laughs> I know what you mean. yeah yeah <laughs> so you're you're navigating the ship and you're looking ahead and there is the ocean there is the wind yeah. and you have to navigate through those two external factors and the people on the team let's say if you're sailing you might, you will have to have everybody believe in the destination that you're going and you get hit by a storm. You don't throw the people out onto the ocean. You want to make sure that you're navigating and going through the storm together, but the captain of the ship needs to have absolute clarity on the destination and how they're going to get there. And during a storm, the most important thing is to protect the team, right? make sure that people are not destroyed during that storm you come out of the storm and then it's smooth sailing after that so 
So it's just having that culture of knowing that no one person is bigger than the team. Mm. Um, and as the team grows, instilling that culture and leading that culture, I think writing a document about the culture isn't going to build culture. No, yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I think there's a lot of um, value statements and you know, cultural statements people make, which, which just have no basis in reality. And, and they're, they're a marketing tool. They're something that's been made up in a boardroom, as you say. Um, and it's, it's what I find sad and unusual about that is that you can find out your values by talking to your business, you know, talk to the people in your business, go, what are our values? What are the things you find important? So, you know, and, and you, from that, you'll, you might find things you don't like, but that's something to address and change. But what you will find is that there will be commonalities, there will be values, and then you have to hold those things dear. Um, I mean, if, if your company's not doing very well, those things you might want to change. But if your company's doing great, you, you, know, you ask the people and they'll probably tell you why. Um, um, consciously all the time, so we sort of start to kind of move things towards a, a conclusion. But I'm, I wanted to sort of ask about how, how you found the people that work with your business now. How did you find your CTO? Um, and, and you can kind of continue to use the sort of same um, attraction strategies. You know, how are you going to go about bringing people into your team? So my, my CTO was a very interesting story. I had uh, in 2018, <clears throat> I had just returned from New York and uh, in Sydney, there is a startup hub. Uh, so I walked into the startup hub and I ran into a girlfriend who was... Uh, well, I haven't seen in a long time and she made the intro to Praveen mm -hmm. and um, <clears throat> and we started chatting and I started pitching because I had like all this New York energy in me and we, we clicked and I said, you know, I'm looking for someone to build a product for me and then he sat down and he started working straight away. So it, it was just like a magical connection that happened. So then I went to London again um, exploring opportunities with insurers and I came back and I gave him a call and I said hey dude uh, what are you doing right now so he had just um, finished a project on a data science project for the government um, and I said do you do you have time do you have 12 weeks that you can commit to helping me build this and he said yeah sure and I said I don't have a lot of money to give you but I'm I can promise you a lot of fun and 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 we can uh we can get something out the door and i said at the end of 12 weeks we will then assess uh what you want to do if this is something you want to be part of and at the end of 12 weeks we gel so well together and now it's almost two years now so that's how we met it was very um it's like one of those movies what's what's the name of that movie serendipity oh yeah 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 it was very that kind of uh experience so then the rest of the team were um one of the investors made introductions so it's through the network of trusted people that came highly recommended um and then working together and, and it's very organically grown uh-huh uh-huh yeah i think the challenge is um i think everyone's got those kind of weird stories um like the first company i founded it was the guy that gave me my first job in recruitment um and it circled back 10 years and then we happened to find ourselves both kind of not working and going should we do it together um and um and i think you find these kind of strange kind of coincidences happen um the challenge is you know obviously growing and going outside of that trusted kind of um you know unit of people 
Um, so what what what's what's next for what's next for you? What's next for Curra Hero? Um, am I right in thinking you're currently you're currently focused on Australia? But are you operating in the US already? Or no, we have plans to expand um, outside of Australia in the next three years. Uh, there's uh, some cool products that we're working on and growing and building our community. Building our community is a really big part of what we do and, and brand partnerships. So we have a um, mental health awareness challenge that we're running next week, which is going to be pretty incredible. Um, and it is to help people build awareness about anxiety and depression is not a disease and something to be ashamed of to encourage people to talk and and then build awareness around the interconnectedness of physical health and mental health and removing the stigma around it so a lot of time i spend on brand collaborations working with brands that have similar values and amplifying that and and building building and growing our our community and supporting them uh we have our thought leadership series hustle chat uh, which is about democratization of business education mm-hmm. um, is is I believe entrepreneurs shouldn't have to pay to access knowledge that's out there because there's so much knowledge out there. So it's about building the community for us, which is number one priority, yeah. and then uh, growing the business, adding new products to our platform, and then expanding and to be the preferred brand for the contingent workforce. Yeah, because it's, it's quite heavily fought over space, isn't it? I, I know you, you've been around, or at least pitching this idea since 2017. I think, I think the business has been around since early 2018. But um, since that time, we've seen a few people kind of enter that market. Um, but um, are you the kind of dominant, one, or, or at least one of the prominent ones in Australia particularly? or? Yeah, we launched in um, in January this year. The product was live, but we've been working on it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are new entrants uh, coming to the market across different niches. Mm-hmm. And because it's such a huge segment and a growing segment, uh, we'll be seeing whole range of players enter the segment. And there are uh, different players, you know, um, in the UK, there is collective benefits and then in um in asia and also buckle in uh in the us as well so it's really great to see lots of different value propositions coming into the market um and we want to see that grow and accelerate and find opportunities to work together with other insurtechs in other jurisdictions so that we can move faster together because it's a lot easier to work with other startups that have complementary skill sets um to move at speed and if there are established insure tax that we could partner and leverage to go into other jurisdictions that's an avenue that we definitely explore fantastic well look thank you so much for your time thank you so much for being my um my my guinea pig for number one um and being really really interesting where can people follow up particularly i was really interested to hear you about the mental health thing where's the best place to, to look for you is it the hustle chat podcast or so we have a hustle chat podcast uh, at three o'clock Sydney time Friday, and uh, LinkedIn is is the most reliable space to find out what I'm up to, and the details would also be on hustlecover.com uh, website as well. 
and the and on our Facebook page. So there are multiple avenues to to find out. So all the details would would be up um, by the end of this week. And I'd encourage people to tune into the Hustle Chat podcast to learn about the activation. Brilliant. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being with me and spending some time with me today. Excellent. Thanks for having me. <laughs>